0: Let's rise again from our seats and we'll receive our scripture reading that comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. This is his word for us. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please have a seat. Uh, good
1: morning, KPC. Uh We love you in the Lord. If you're new here, we welcome you in the name of the Lord. If you have been here, we still love you in the name of the Lord. <laughs> uh, it's really good to be back and to preach the word. I never re- realized how much of a privilege it is. Um, I had an abscess in my throat uh, that had to be taken out. And as I was resting, uh, I received... So much love, support, uh, encouragement, and food uh, from CGs to individuals. Thank you so much for being Jesus to our family. Thank you. Uh, with that said, uh, before we start, I just have two announcements for us. Uh, number one, uh, we have a uh, QR code up there that leads to a survey for a church-wide survey. Uh, the EC team is currently running a survey. Uh, of our EC ministries to see how healthy our church is and to see how pe- how much people belong and also the challenges of our community. So we're really interested in getting all of our feedback. So far, um, all of our leaders only responded. And based on that feedback, we look like the best church in the world because <laughs> the leaders are really excited about it. But uh, we want to have a more... Uh, a comprehensive picture of what kcpc feels like in various aspects so please join in on the survey and give us your data points that'd be wonderful also number two a very important announcement as well we are having a retreat in july 7th through 9th and this will the deadline for it was last week but we've extended for one more week so that everyone can go uh, remember that we have children and they're paid for free. Their, their costs are covered and they will be having a professional VBS program just for the kids. And so we will uh, really have so many benefits during this retreat as we focus on resting well and listening to the word of God. Please come. Retreats are not just for memories, but they're also for spiritual memories with God. And we know we need that. So please come. Uh, sign up at ec.kcpc.org. Now with that said, uh, Let's give God all the glory for finishing the book of Matthew. Uh, That was a wonderful series to be in. Uh, But now we're starting a thematical sermon series for three months uh, from June all the way to August on the Missio Dei, the mission of God. Uh, uh, When we say missions, we often think about just pure evangelism uh, and the great commission to make disciples where Jesus tells us to go out and make disciples of all nations but as we go from Genesis all the way to Revelation, which is, which is what we're going to try to cover in three months, uh, we'll see that the segments of Scripture that reveal the fullness of God's mission for humanity, what he hopes to accomplish in us, and when we see that, we'll recognize it's not just a task of evangelism. It is something much more holistic, and this will explain the purpose and the direction and the meaning of our lives as well. And so I pray that this would be a time to bless all of us to have a holistic understanding of my identity and my purpose and my function. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word would be powerfully revealed. I pray that light would be cast upon formerly dark corners of our imagination and our mind, uh, that we'd be able to confess, I never knew that God intended so much for me. I never knew that my life would be so breathtaking of an adventure. I never knew that there's something beyond church and Sunday that extends to all of creation and Monday through Friday, all the way to Saturday, that God has a will for me right now. And so, Father, as a congregation, we pray together and we confess together, may every fiber of my being be for your glory. May every corner of my life reveal the goodness of God. And let there be a beautiful consistency in what we proclaim and what we hear and what we believe and what we do. Let there be consistency, Father. For we cannot play games in this short time that we have on earth. This is not a human endeavor, Holy Spirit. You must do this. So, Father, I rely upon you to open the word of God that hearts would be put on fire today. To understand your word and respond by knowing and trusting Jesus Christ. We pray this in that beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Uh, We are starting with God's mission in Genesis to and through Adam. Uh, Adam, a very famous character, right? Now, the questions that people have about the book of Genesis today are very, very different uh, from back then. Uh, Today, we we speak English, and it is a noun-driven, factual, and scientific language. And so, when we ask questions about Genesis in English, in the English language, we ask questions like, who, what, when, where, why, how? And we force, we put violence on the book of Genesis by forcing it to answer things that go according to the scientific method. But, we go back a few thousand years to primitive humanity, and... They are asking things according to a Hebraic sense. They're trying to figure out, who is the most important question? What event and what narrative am I involved? What narratival flow is my life caught up in? And as you're asking a question, they're asking things like, who am I? Am I carelessly thrown into existence What am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? I have time and energy, and there's unruled nature in the world. There's the sun beating on my forehead, and the moon comes out at night. I don't know what to do unless there is a paradigm and a mandate and a direction to live for. But before Scripture answers who I am, it starts out with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Placement, my, we would ask, you know, what is heaven? What is earth? And we're sipping on, you know, you know, kombucha, you know, with our yeti bottles and air-conditioned room, because we have the luxury to ask all these questions about details and and statistics and realms. But the question we should be asking and the focus that we should be going towards is, who is God, that He would create the universe and me, and what does that mean for my life? Scripture tells us that the origin and the first reference point of humanity is God. And it must be God in order to understand who I truly am. And so only after introducing the creator on the sixth day, then the focus shifts to us. And so in today's passage, God tasks Adam. He gives him a mandate, a function, a mission. And The first mission given to us, which is called the cultural mandate. Cultural, which means to cultivate the world. That's the mission given to us. In order to respond to the question, who are we and what are we made to do? Our original primordial function. What is that? It's to cultivate the world. It is the cultural mandate. So what is this mandate? Three things. Number one, let's get verse 26 to 27. We are made in God's image to represent him, to represent him fully, right? So often we hear, what does it mean to be made in God's image? We're different from other animals, and people stop at a few things. They're like, okay, we're smarter. There's intellect. We utilize it better for tools and and technology. Other people say we're emotional beings. Maybe animals have emotions and it's not expressed too well, but we have emotions, And also, we have a highlighted tendency to create moral rules. But it also means that we're also relational, man and woman, right? And so we have a relational capacity. But here's the thing, though. There is a fifth component of being made in the image of God that defines why we need qualities one through four. Why are we intellectual? Why are we emotional? Why are we moral and value assessing? And why are we relational? Because there is a function and a purpose God gave to us, which is to reflect his character, his creative genius across all activity and creation. To show who God is to the world. That was our original task, to show the beauty of our father across the whole universe. That's basically what it means to be made in God's image with all these qualities that we have, that we wouldn't squander it for our selfish purposes, but to show God to the nations. In our care, our craftsmanship over the world, our creativity over creation, that is supposed to show who God is. But second, what does it also mean to be made in God's image? Note. This is very controversial today. I don't know why it's so controversial, but it is. Note that God gave the task to two agents who complement each other, male and female image bearers. What does this mean? This means that this was such a beautiful and a challenging and a holistic task that it would require the collaboration of two very different but synergetic beings to fulfill this mission. It would take cooperation and harmony and relation, which is the essence of the triune God. God is relational. Therefore, we are also relational. We don't do things alone. And also listen to this. They had the capacity to reproduce. What does that mean then? What does it say about the mission? It means that the mission was also so big... That it wouldn't just take two individuals, but future societies and civilizations would have to join in the task of showing who God is to the whole universe forever and ever and ever. A reproducing civilization in harmony with intellectual, emotional, moral, and relational qualifications to show who God is. That is our first mission to the world. And none of us live according to that right now. We have failed in our mission. We're going to talk about that. Now, that is what it means, number one, to, be, to, uh, to have the cultural mandate. We are made to represent him. Can everyone repeat after me? I am made to represent him. Amen. Number two, we are made to flourish. Let's look at the beginning part of verse 28. Uh, 28. Verse 28. Basically, uh, it, God blesses them, and he says, you will reproduce and flourish and multiply. That is the, uh, another aspect of the mandate that God gave us. Now, what does it mean to flourish? It doesn't just mean to have kids. That's not the, that's not the mandate. It's part of it. It's also a blessing from God towards the first couple to do what? To become the first union that would later become the building blocks of society. Nancy Percy said it this way, uh, this command to flourish means to develop the interpersonal world between people, families, churches, schools, cities, governments, and laws. In other words, flourishing means interpersonal well-being when you and I can coexist peacefully together. And so that's what it means to flourish, not just to have kids, but also to have it with a beneficial intent in mind to bless the world and all relationships that would come from our relationships. It was given to a initial couple and a family as a unit. So families are the central unit given the cultural mandate out of all social institutions because it is the most primitive and primary and basic human relationship. And out of the strength of the family, institutions like schools and companies and governments derive the characteristic from their covenantal, loving, caring, mutually sacrificial. We have none of that in our institutions right now. Whenever a Christian steps into a relational, interpersonal environment, what happens? We are to promote the welfare of everyone in that environment. When Christians walk into a wartime situation, peace must happen. When Christians walk into a family who is in an affair, they create peace and reconciliation. If Christians see abuse, they fix it because we are called to cause flourishing across all peoples. And how we have failed that as well. How badly have we failed? A third aspect of being Created for the cultural mandate is this made to exercise dominion. Let's get verses 28 through 31. Uh, I wonder if we have PowerPoint today. Verses 28 through 31. And so, what this means is to exercise dominion over the world. And this exercising dominion or subduing it, uh, it means to harness the natural world and all of its resources. What does that mean? Instead of being conquered by the rain, Build tents, survive. Instead of frying under the sun, build solar panels and utilize it. Conquer the elements and conquer the world. Now, the word conquer is very, very bad. Why? Because we are very bad. And so, conquering is abusive by nature in our state, but the word kabash, subdue, is not meant to be a violent, domineering kind of rule. It is a guided structure and composed power over creation with a principle and a moral foundation so remember god makes humanity on the sixth day and he gives them the cultural mandate what after, what happens right after the sixth day after today's passage the sixth day passes the seventh day comes and one thing that is weird about the seventh day when god rests there is no start there is no beginning it didn't finish in other words it is an open-ended eternal day of rest that is still happening today God is resting what does that mean for us today God gives us a mandate and God rests what that kind of looks like is this let's say you go to the beach with your children and as the dad is getting a suntan and resting the children are working and building a sandcastle that's what work should feel like for us today does it feel like that today how many of you don't like your jobs are your bosses here? Like, <laughs> okay, uh, you have wonderful jobs, I guess. Uh, it is good to be thankful. But first, what this means for us: when God is resting and we are working out of the sufficiency of watching our Father rest in all sufficiency, it means we can work like we are resting, because our Father is resting. There's no deficiency. He completed creation. There's no thing that we're adding on necessary for our survival. It's meant to express God. What a paradigm shifting understanding. How many of you work to survive? How many of you need to compete to survive? That was not what was originally meant for work. What God intends is that work is not meant to be for survival. But work itself is an act of recreation, showing the world how creative and how fun and how structured and how logical God is by the work of my hands. And so, if you're a Christian, repeat after me, vocation is vacation. How much we want to say amen to that, right? <laughs> no one said amen. Amen. <laughs> Vocation is vacation if you believe in Jesus. Why? You will survive. Why? Oh, you, a little faith. Don't you see the sparrows? Don't you see the grass? God will take care of you made in his image. Why work then? If you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, and God provides you. Why work for his glory? Amen. We need to recover this. We need to connect Sunday to Monday, to Friday, and then know how to rest on Saturday, we're connecting a theology of creation to a theology of worship to a theology of work to a theology of rest so that every day of our life, when we go to heaven, means something. It's like, what if Sundays only count when you go to God and God's like, "Uh, you lived week per week. (laughs) What happened to Monday through Friday? Here's the answer. Knowing the cultural mandate gives you an edge on how to understand what my function is if I've been restored as the image of God. And without that, jobs kill you, jobs define you, jobs enslave you, not bless you. We need to understand this. Number two, when God is resting and we work, what does that mean? We also work as vice regents, representatives of God in his stead. In other words, we are meant to replicate and faithfully show the world God's rule. So as soon as Adam is created, what does he he start doing? He names the animals. Do you know linguistically how important naming things are? We call that taxonomy, right? Why is taxonomy important? Because only under named categories can we perceive and understand and structure reality. Like what's the color red without the word red? It's just something that we see. But taxonomy is the start of governing creation. Adam names creation and the animals. What does that mean for us? It means that we will rule like God does in an orderly and a beautiful and a creative fashion where our choices matter. God didn't say, you know, like, Diplodocus that's a bad name. Like, let me step in and name that for you. But he respects human naming capacity and our agency, and he lets us govern the world in his stead. That means there's a great responsibility. So, vocation is vacation, but also it's a beautiful, wonderful, meaningful vacation. There's so much to do in this world to show who God is, and we have lost the magic of meaningful and fulfilling work. Remember, work came when? Before the curse. God worked before the curse came. Work is a good thing before sin tainted it. We have lost the connection to our work. So, brothers and sisters, we are originally created to create order from chaos. Now, when a person steps into an interpersonal uh, 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 um, ecosystem, they cause reconciliation and peace. When a Christian steps into a chaotic environment, things start clicking. They make sense. Names are created, spreadsheets pop up, organizations function, best practices are developed, organizations grow, and civilizations flourish for the glory of God. That's what we're meant to do. How breathtaking that is. Work is not a curse. Repeat after me. I am created to be creative. Amen? Okay. Okay. It would be wonderful if we finished right now. Be a record. We have a lot left to go. <laughs> Why? There is a tension. There is a conflict. There is an issue. Sin came into the world and there is a great impact that impacted something. Look at, look at the chart uh, that, I, that I wrote down there. What happens if sin enters the picture? Divine representation turns into self-representation. I represent myself now because of sin. I am so narcissistic. Mutual flourishing turns into destructive competition. In a world of limited resources, we have to fight. Also, dominion over creation turns into abuse of creation. We're killing so many animals and so many trees at our expense. It's not how Kabash was meant to be, subduing. Killing other humans. Let me just give you an example of what this means. What happened is, the agent was corrupted, not the mission. The mission is intact. We are the problem right now. So, all three of my children were sick together, right? Uh, And so they had strep throat, and I had the abscess, and so we were all able to take a really good look at each other for about a week. And so I was watching them in their natural habitat, not at school, at home. And, boy, (laughs) it was really interesting. Uh, So, It was oddly quiet, so I told them, go make something awesome with Legos, right? Uh, So we had a bucket full of Legos. And I later noticed, uh, like after the second day, they were trading Lego pieces, right? And so Ethan is big. Uh, He could monopolize the pieces. And he started trading with his sister, Ilya, because Ilya is formidable. She's smart, and she knows how to tell on him and get him in trouble. So there was fair trade happening there. But then Ariel, who is uh, inarticulate and very young and doesn't know how to voice her opinion, she got a very bad deal. She didn't get any Lego pieces. So being the smart girl that she is, she goes to the refrigerator, gets all the snacks, and starts trading snacks for Legos. Uh, It didn't work out. (laughs) They weren't hungry. And so Ariel later starts using force to break all the pieces. And then when I came down... Uh, It was chaos. They would all run to me talking about their grievances, how angry they are. I noticed. I noticed what I was seeing. I I realized I was witnessing what? The creation of a currency and a counterfeit currency, a market and a black market, exchange rates, trade, mafia-like coercion, corruption, and monopolies. I'm sure if we had one more week, I would have seen something like the Enron scandal. (laughs) That's human nature. We are excellent at systematizing, excellent at finding out what to do, but we are corrupt. The Lego mission wasn't compromised. My kids are sinful, as well as I. What does that mean on a global scale? The mission is still intact We are compromised. And so what happens? Instead of representing God, we become our own point of reference. I, I, I. We are so narcissistic now. Because of sin, we don't want to reflect anyone but myself. And because we are the reflection of God, what happens when you put two mirrors together? They have an infinite uh, reflection that goes down to a deep, dark pit. There's no end to try to reflect myself. That's why we're always searching for The key word of this year or this century, identity. We're always looking for identity. Who am I? What am I? What ethnicity am I? What sexual preference do I have? What characteristics do I have? We're obsessed with myself because we're not looking to the owner's manual. We've lost our reference point and we become an infinite pit of me, me, me. Like I saw this TikTok. And this person saw a stabbing right behind him. So he takes a selfie and he's like, whoa, guess, guess what guys? Someone just got stabbed behind me and this is crazy. And he dies right behind him. He gets a few million followers after that. This is how narcissistic we've become. It is all about me. There is no such thing as mutual flourishing anymore. We've lost that mission. What's happening to our world right now? And we don't mutually flourish but we destructively compete because of our narcissism. Every, listen to this, this is going to be really Sensitive, do not place upon these biblical categories a political lens because this will stumble you. Every cultural endeavor now goes against the flourishing of relational humanity. Previously, human cultivating or artificiality, for a good reason, utilized nature to accomplish a godly relational purpose, to strengthen families or to feed more people out of less land and to utilize more energy out of more efficient resources. We found a way to bless people, but yet, what's happening in our day right now? Because of sin, our recent attempts to cultivate and create culture and to create something worth investing in, and we need to dive into this, breaks the basic unit of a family. Government attempting to sabotage the role of the father and mother. Record-breaking fatherlessness and single motherhood right now. Abortion, the A word. Homosexuality. Hookup culture. All diluting the power of a covenant between two people promising to serve each other sacrificially. Transgenderism. A radical strand of environmentalism where reducing the carbon footprint must be accomplished, even if you kill people. Minor attractive persons which we used to call pedophiles, rebellious children who mistrust their parents, the trend of wanting to own a pet instead of a child, identifying as animals and even having sexual affections towards animals, hating each other's toxic femininity and masculinity in competition. What are we doing right now in the world because of sin? And what is the only hope for humanity now? everything from the sexual revolution onward is going to be aimed at destroying the basic function given to Adam and Eve. To destroy that. Have you noticed this? This might seem like disconnected random events happening somehow at the same time in a culture, but I think nobody can orchestrate such a cohesive social movement apart from Satan, who is the prince of the air and the rule of the world. Under God's sovereignty, he's permitted. But don't you see where we're going right now? Anti-flourishing. Number three, we don't subdue, we abuse. Like, for example, we hate work, and our work hates us. Over the years, the Gallup organization polled 25 million employees in 189 different countries. According to the survey, they found that only 13% of workers feel engaged by their jobs. The vast majority, 63% of us, described ourselves as not engaged with my job. The remainder see that they actively hate their jobs. Why? Because we work, listen to this, this is really important. We work not out of the sufficiency of being loved unconditionally by a perfect God, We've lost that. It's like losing the father at the beach and we're still building a sandcastle out of fear now. And if I don't build this, no one's going to think anything of me because my father's gone. We are crippled with not knowing who we are today. We've lost our connection to our father. And so we've lost all meaningful relationships with God and with people and with creation, right? The three things that we are called to cultivate We lost the connection with it now. And so now we act out of deficiency. I don't know who I am. I will grab onto what I can and make myself worth it. How do you introduce yourself these days? Hi, I'm David. I am a pastor. My job defines who I am. What you contribute to society defines who you are. How much merit you offer, how much money you make defines who you are because you don't know what it means to be unconditionally loved by a perfect father. You have to earn someone's favor all the time. That's why it's so hard to form small groups here because you are conditioned by the world to think you have to contribute X, Y, and Z to be loved. We say here, no, you are unconditionally loved by God the Father in Jesus Christ. What a different game that we're playing right now. What a different world that we're living in. So out of our deficiency, what do we do? In our work, we feel threatened if I lose control or if I feel my identity is under attack or if my value and competence is under attack. So what do I do? If, I, if I'm threatened, if they threaten to take away my Lego pieces, I break it all. I become angry and abusive and manipulative. That's why I don't govern the world. I abuse the world out of my crippling sense of deficiency. Why do we crush our children? Because I haven't fulfilled my dream. They can fulfill it for me. Why do I crush my spouse? Because they are responsible for my happiness. They must make me happy. That's why most marriages break up. And because of sin, listen to this. The three branches of government, if they merge so that one fallen sinner holds the sword of executive power and the pen of legislative power and the gavel of judicial power, you've seen dictatorships and what that can do. They abuse. We divided those powers. We made government small. Because we know how fallen we are and how abusive a fallen person can be is so as long as we are sinners. I'm afraid of big governments. The ideal form of politics, I believe. I'm sorry we're going into this and, and I pledge not to talk about politics. But Christianity relates to morality. Morality, politics is corporate morality. They have an overlap. I must preach into the culture then. Right? Okay, I got one yes. Come to my apologetics class in July. You'll see the intersections. We have to learn this. And so the best form of government right now is what? Any form that leaves the church alone to engage in the Great Commission. Amen? Anything that lets the church redeem fallen human beings so that they can restart the cultural mandate when Jesus comes back. That is the only way of surviving right now. And so God invites us right now To receive his reign and his ownership and his creatorship over us. And our cynicism about politics and government right now comes from, listen to this, never having a perfect president or a perfect prime minister or a perfect king. They are all abusive. We don't trust anyone. We need Jesus. We've been crying this out. No matter what kind of government we've had from the past 6,000 years of documented human history until now, even proclaiming this at D.C., we need a perfect leader who cares absolutely for everyone and has the time, energy, and power to care for everyone. But that day is coming. The final point I want to talk about is the gospel's restoration of the cultural mandate. Repeat after me. The gospel turns the cultural mandate into the Great Commission. Amen? Listen to the problem we have right now. Okay, we are all in big trouble. The mission is intact, but the agent is compromised. If you're in a James Bond film, and let's say you fail the mission, then what does M say to you? I never knew you. Uh, You're disowned. Uh, The British government has nothing to do with you because we want to protect the integrity of the mission. But what does God do? God, okay, I can't just say this quickly. Etch this into your heart, okay? God cares more about you than your productivity. Can you really believe that? A child does not have to impress his father. Creation is meant to enjoy God, not fearfully give him everything as if he will be bettered by what I give him but to enjoy that relationship with him and act out of the sufficiency of that in creativity when we sinned the Hebrew word for sin is kata what does that mean kata means mission failure did you know that sin doesn't mean doing xyz that's a very shallow definition sin means failing the mission no matter how close you get to fulfilling a perfect society with perfect people, no matter how close you are, it's still sin if you miss. And if you shoot the opposite direction, it's still sin. You failed the mission. But when we failed the mission, God didn't say, okay, I'm going to disown all humanity to protect the mission. Instead, he abandoned the mission. He even abandoned himself. He gave his only son to restore the image bearers of God. So God set upon a cosmic mission to restore us broken image bearers to fully be restored. This shows what we are not just agents. We're not just warriors or soldiers. We are someone worth giving your son up for. What category does that fall under? We are beloved children of God. That's why he gave his son Jesus, because we are not just functional workers. We are beloved. And that's the one thing that you have to understand, to be restored. God loved you so much that he gave you Jesus Christ, so that you wouldn't be defined by your productivity. You wouldn't be defined by what you offer, but you'd be defined once again by the one single reference point, God the creator and his fathership over you. And without that root being reconnected, we are doomed. We call this the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, that God loved you so much more than the mission and so much more than your productivity, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to fully bear the curse of division from God and nature and creation so that we'd be restored to God, people, and nature. Let me give you a quick uh, tip. If you ever feel dehumanized these days, Don't buy more stuff. Have God time, people time, and nature time. Because those are what we're losing because of sin. Time with God in word and prayer and worship. Time with other people in fellowship and service and leadership. And time with nature, basking in the glory of God to see what I am charged to take care of. And without that, all the stuff you buy... You know, it's narcissistic. It's meant to serve myself. Be connected to God again, and your eyes will be emblazoned by the beauty of the mission that Christ has given to you all over again. And then suddenly, Sunday connects to Monday. Yes, amen. Sunday connects to Monday then. And Monday connects to Saturday rest. And once again, it connects all the way to worship on Sunday again. And suddenly, life makes sense, and we're no longer confused. In this postmodern world, God invites us now, if you believe in Jesus Christ, to be fully restored as image bearers of God, who is connected to God and people and nature all over again, God now invites us to join the mission of the Great Commission. For the great purpose of restarting the cultural mandate, when God's kingdom comes, he gives us a Great Commission. Go and make disciples so that they would be restored unto their full image, recover their full capacity, recover their full function so that the universe will flourish once again. That's why we evangelize. Because the mission is still intact. The agent is compromised. Let's look at the screen. Today, our biggest task is to fuse the cultural mandate and the Great Commission. Connecting the two cultivating the world, and making disciples, now you know the relationship. We must make disciples who fully know God and are restored to the world for the great commission, to ha- for the cultural mandate to happen well. The agent must be restored. The world is waiting for you to be restored by the gospel of Jesus. The world is groaning for you. Just as the Lego pieces are waiting for my three children to grow mature now, Let's look at Romans 8, 19 and read this all together. One, two, three. For the creation waits with eager longing for the what? Revealing of the sons of God. Not, they are, the world is not waiting for the perfect policy. They're not waiting for the perfect education system. We're not waiting for the perfect alternative resource and energy right now. We are waiting for what? The restoration of humanity so that we know what to do with all of this. Amen. May Jesus Christ restore you fully. May he make you fully human, that we would be a blessing to the world. Dear KCPC, God created us with a breathtaking vision in mind. We are to build civilizations that connect people to God, people to people, and people to the created universe, all in order to reflect the nature and the goodness of God, now revealed in the face of Jesus. And if you believe that Jesus died for you, this is possible once again. And now, vocation can become vacation. How restful it is to work under the yoke of Jesus Christ. With a guaranteed victory, a guaranteed identity, a guaranteed love by God the Father, so that there is no more want anymore. And satisfied, I rule over the world. We rule over the world alongside Jesus who will one day hold the pen and hold the sword and hold the gavel in his majestic and perfect hands. Amen. I Can't wait for that day. Can't wait for that day. And I pray that this would be a longing that forms in your heart that carries until the last sermon on this series so that life makes sense for you. Praising come up and let's pray. Father, our mind is blown by the beauty of what you envision for us. You do not create us with a small picture in mind, but you created us with your very hopes and your very dreams given to us out of sufficiency. And Father it's good to know about this. It's good to know how to make a, a good spreadsheet and to conquer and master AI and to create good government. But Father, what we are here to do is to be restored unto you, to worship you, to receive Jesus, to know why I am doing all these things and not to regret Monday through Friday. So Lord, through the Holy Spirit, come upon us that we would fully understand the breadth and the scope of our lives and live a life consistent with your cultural mandate as well as a Great Commission, that we would restore other people unto the name of Jesus and be fully human. Father, if there is anyone that does not believe in Jesus and his gospel today, please open their heart to yearn and piece together all the questions about who they are why they have these struggles why work is not satisfying why study seems so empty unless it ties to something that is greater than I am and let those pieces of questions fit together until there is a God shaped hole in their life that needs the cross to make sense and let them receive you by faith let them trust in you as Lord and Savior and then may their life be a breathtaking adventure Lord, we love you. We honor your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.